Hi, I'm glad you're here. And today I, I want to um, discuss the whole idea about um, God being the singer and, and us being the song. God is the singer and we're the song. And, and I want to go more deeply into that and, and talk about the, the implications of, of what that means to, to be music, to make yourself into music, and um, the, the crucial role of, of music in terms of um, achieving your, your potential as a person and as a spiritual being as well. And, and to see that in the Torah in a very sort of unique, beautiful way. And um, this is going to take us into a sort of a, a journey into the structure of the cosmos as well. And we'll see a correlation between those two things uh, in, a, in, in sort of a very striking way. And so <clears throat> maybe, maybe the best place to begin is is with a teaching um, that our sages say that, that when God created the world, the way he did it was he, he spoke the world into creation. And our tradition is, is that there were ten utterances when, when God says, let there be light, you know, and, and there was light. And things. These were the, that's an example of one of the ten utterances of creation. The actual, the first utterance of creation was actually the word breshis itself. With beginnings. And, and of course, on a very deep level, I heard in the name of the Vilna Gon that that's when God created time itself. And if you think about it, in the beginnings, that's already referencing time. So you see that it's addressing time. Not only that, but I heard Rabbi Tatz say something very deep and beautiful, which is that, you know, one of, one of the foundations of our, of our view of, of reality is that, is that is that this creation that we're in right now, just like a, a flower blooms, right? That creation itself is in the process of blooming. And you can call that evolution if you like. That there's an evolution to the world. That we're reaching past this to another stage of existence. Of perfection, actually. And so, this is all hinted at in the word, in the beginning. Because in the beginning implies that there's going to be an end. So, so the very fact that we're involved in a process right now is hinted at in the very first word of the Torah. So we're all on a journey together. And, um, and, and, and God is telling us that right at the outset. Now, now listen to this. Reb Shlomo Karlwach I heard it from him, and he said something amazing, which is that God didn't just speak the world into creation. God actually sang the world into creation. And, and, and so that's like a whole another level, right? The idea, now of course God doesn't have a mouth, God doesn't have a body, and what, we're, what the sages will do is often they'll say, Kaviyocho, which means, you know, Humanly speaking, or they're, they're oftentimes very deep teachings are, are phrased as um, uh, anthropomorphisms, meaning to say that we, we, we put sort of human terms on God, but not because he has any physicality on it, just because God wants to give us a structure in order to be able to conceptualize an idea. So that's why God will refer to the finger of God, or, or whatever it is. But again, there, there is no physicality to God. God is beyond, 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 beyond that. As I said to my children many times, God doesn't have a body. God makes bodies, right? So God is way beyond that. But, but nonetheless, um, just so that we can wrap our minds around it, we have this teaching that, 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 that God actually sang the world into existence. Now, now listen to this. There's an awesome, awesome source for this. An awesome, awesome source for this. And before I, I, I say it to you, just let me maybe just uh, introduce it with one more teaching, just so maybe you can more fully appreciate what, what, what we're about to say here. Which is, if you look at the very first line of, of the Torah, it says, 
And this is, uh, I remember when I first started learning, this was maybe my favorite teaching. It says, Breshis bara Elohim es ha-shamayim ve-es So, that's translated as in the beginning, or maybe more accurately, with beginnings. Because as I heard from Reb Shlomo in the name of Rabbi Shemin Bar Yochai, God created the world out of the fabric of beginnings. Which means that the whole world is made out of beginnings. Every moment is a beginning. It's actually a beginning. It's not just a platitude. Every single moment is a new beginning. And God made the world out of beginnings. So, so with beginnings, God created, so that's bara, created, Elohim, that's this aspect of God where he's now structuring his creation. Es Hashemayim. Now, Es is a very interesting word because it, it starts with the letter Aleph, which is the first letter of the Aleph base, and it ends, it's only two letters, this word, and the second letter, the last letter, is Taf, which is the last letter of the Aleph base. And Grammatically, you need this word, but it's not actually adding any meaning to the, to the verse at all. So, in the beginning, or with beginnings, God created the heavens and the earth. And just to show you how the S there is sort of redundant, you know the word ha, when you have a, the Hebrew prefix he in front of a word, it means the. So, if S means the, why do you need the hey, which also means the, right? So in other words, what I'm trying to point out to you here is that this word ace, aleph tough, the first letter and the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet is somewhat redundant in this, in this, in this verse, right? But along come the rabbis and say the deepest thing in the entire world, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. How did he create it? With the letters aleph through tough with all of the letters of the olive base, with the Hebrew letters of the alphabet. And that's what's being hinted at over here, that God is showing you the tools that he used to create the entire universe. And so there it is, right, right, in, the first, right in the first Pesach, right in the first verse. Now, how do you understand that? Were there actual letters? Were there actual letters that God used and he took like letters and made the world? It's, it's a little bit far out. But the way I understand it is that each one of these letters represents a different energy wavelength. And that God combined all these different energies in order to create the universe. And so there's a correspondence between the letters and these different energies, right? So, but nonetheless, here you see with the letters, God created the universe. That's the, that's the tool that he used. Now, I just ran across this teaching, which is, which is, which is very far out. Very, very intense. And I, uh, I want to share it with you. It's in, this is from, this teaching is from the Magalia Mukos. And this is a name that really, like, if you know who this person is, and like, I just know really nothing about him, but I know the littlest, littlest bit, but this is a name that's, like, should make a person tremble. Like, the Magalia Mukos. You know what that name means? It's the name of his book. Right? Because one of the great things is that, you know, like, great Jews are named after their books. And then they're known by the name of their book. You know, it's, it's, it's very unique. It's very unique. And I'll give you an example of that that I really love. The, 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 in, in, in Jerusalem, the Belzer Hasidim um, live the main street of their neighborhood. Is, is a street called Dover Shalom. Okay? So, uh, which I guess means uh, the, uh, the word of peace, uh, which is a nice, you know, very poetic. But they, that's the name of their main street. Now, Dover Shalom is the name of the first Belzer Rebbe's book. So, so where do they live, literally? Right? They, they live within the Rebbe's teachings. Right? That's, I'm sure that it was not a coincidence that they named their main street after the, their first Rebbe's book. Right? So, so where you live is, is you live within the Torah itself. What you call yourself by. Right? Like the name of your book. It's, it's, it's awesome. It's really it's such a, 
it's such a beautiful insight into the way we think and, and how much we love Torah, you know? So, so the Magali Amukos, what does that mean? If that's what his name is. Magali means to reveal Amukos are the depths. So can you imagine his name is the revealer of the depths? And he was the chief rabbi of Krakow in the early 1600s when that was the number one rabbinic post in the world. And on his tombstone, it says that Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet, visited him many times. Right? It says it on his tombstone. In the, and you, you, can, you can go in Krakow and you can see his tomb, the Megalia Mukos. And he was one of the great mystics of all of history. Okay? So this is a teaching from him. And this is, this is talking about, and maybe we'll go into it a little bit more later. This is talking about when Yaakov, when Jacob, our father, when he was escaping for his life, right? He was running away. He had just gotten the blessing. Esau, his brother, wants to kill him. And he's running to Haran, where he's going to start the 12 tribes. He's going to marry Rachel and Leah and uh, have his whole encounter with Lovin, right? But, but on the way there, he spends the night in the place which is the Beis HaMikdash, all right? And this is chapter 28, and it's, um, it's uh, verse 11. And it's on, in the Art Scroll uh, Komish, it's on a page 144, if you want to see it. So here's the Pasuk. He encountered the place and spent the night there. This means the base of Migdash. Because the sun had set, he took from the stones of the place which he arranged around his head, and he lay down in that place. Alright? Now, now what did we just say? We just said that that God didn't just speak the world into creation, that God sang the world into creation. And we saw in the opening verse of the Torah that God actually made the world out of the Hebrew letters, right? That that's what the S is there, the first letter and the last letter and all the letters in between. Now the Magalia Mukos points out, here you just need a bit of a background for this teaching, which is that when God created the world, our tradition, and this is thousands of years old, and this is, this is basically the Big Bang Theory, but we had it thousands of years earlier, is that God took one tiny point of physicality, one little like mustard seed of, of physicality, and then he blew it up into the entire universe. Right? He just expanded it and expanded it. And if you think about what the Big Bang Theory is, there is one initial explosion and then all of physicality comes out of it. So it's, it's, it's the same teaching, essentially. But, but we go further with it and with more detail, which is that what was that first physical point of creation? It was, it was the foundation stone of the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. Okay, it was... It was that's where it was. Now... Now, that's, that's really amazing on a lot of levels because, because that's where the Beis HaMikdash is built, right? Which is the portal between heaven and earth. So the first bit of physicality actually becomes that space where heaven and earth are connected. Not only that, but that's the area where Hashem took the dirt in order to form the first human being. That same physical point. Not only that, but that's where, that's where the Akedah takes place. The binding of Abraham and Yitzchak. In other words, the whole sort of like eternal merit of the Jewish people is coming from that, that same place of the first physical point of reality in the universe. It's all taking place like right there. So from the very, very outset. Okay? Now this is where Jacob goes to sleep. This is where the base of Migdash is. And he says, I didn't realize it. This was, the, this was the gate of heaven. Right? When he wakes up, he has the dream. This is where Jacob has the dream that, that there's a ladder connecting heaven and earth and angels going up and down. Again, all of this is on this physical point. Right? This first initial point 
of all of creation. Not only that, but something more wild, which is that it says when Jacob had his dream, God took all of Israel and he folded it up and put it under his head. So you have, again, this idea of this small point containing absolutely everything, right? Now, look what it says. It says that, it says that he laid down in that place, right? Meaning this place that we've been talking about, right? This first physical point, this, right? Now, how do you say he laid down? So, it's the word... Vayishkav. Okay? Vayishkav means, and he laid down. So the Magalaya Mukos says the following teaching. He says, Vayishkav is Vayesh, break it down into two parts. Vayesh, Kav. Kav, the second part is Chav, Vez, which is Gematria 22. And Vyesh, if you separate that into its own word, means, and there is. Yesh means there is. Okay? So, so what he's referring to here, the Magalaya Muko sees a hint here that this point where, where Jacob rests his head, which is the initial point of creation, right? And what did we say? That God created the world out of the Hebrew alphabet. Well, how many letters are in the Hebrew alphabet? 22. So this word, he laid his head down, is, and there are 22. <laughs> Meaning that this initial point contains the 22 letters that God created the entire universe out of. Right? That, like, that's like the, the headquarters, basically, of all of creation, where God spoke or sang the world into creation. Awesome. You see it right there. Right? Vyesh Kav. There are 22. The 22 letters that God created the world with. Now, with that background, you can now appreciate the following idea. Let's go back to the first word of the Torah. Remember, we're talking about how God sang the world into existence. How God is the singer and we're the song. That's what we're talking about. So, Breshis is the letters. I saw this in Rabbi Trugman's book on, on music. Breshis is the exact letters, if you rearrange them, Shiras, Aleph Beis, which means the song of the Aleph Beis, the song of the Hebrew alphabet that God used to create the world with. So you see that right in the first word of the Torah, a hint to the fact that God sang the world into existence Using these tools of the Hebrew alphabet, these energy wavelengths, right? So, so, so now let's, let's go further with this idea. So we see that basically we're, we're amidst a song. Or we are the song. Creation is the song. So, now we have a tradition, very deep tradition, that every Jew is a letter in the Torah. And that each one of us correlates with a particular letter in the Torah. And just like our tradition is that there's 600,000 letters in the Torah, also we know that when we got the Torah at Mount Sinai, there were 600,000 letters in the Torah. There's 600,000 root souls, basically. So each each soul is is correlating with a, a, a letter in the Torah. Okay. So now... Let's look at the anatomy of a letter. So, mystically speaking, um, it's our tradition that a letter is actually composed of four different parts. Okay? And if you look in a chumash, if you look in a, a, like a, a Torah book, you'll be able to see these four, different le- these four different levels. And these four different levels... Let me just run through them quickly and then we'll go even deeper. These four different levels um, correlate Kabbalistically with the map of the universe because there are four, four dimensions to the world, basically. I mean, there are different paradigms. Remember, we've got like the 10 sphere road. That's, that's one paradigm. We're not using that paradigm right now. Another paradigm is that there are four, four worlds, they're called. 
and hopefully I'll be able to say them. That's um, Atzilut, uh, Yetzira, Berea, and Asiya. Okay? So those are the four worlds. And again, it's always important to understand what that means exactly. See, basically, one of the ways God created the world, and we call it like Tsimsum, is that God took his infinite light and he compressed it and compressed it and compressed it until finally that light was compressed into physicality itself. Which means that the entire world itself is compressed light. It's compressed spirituality. So anyone who thinks that the physical is one thing and the, and the spiritual is a completely different thing doesn't actually understand the mechanics or the ingredients of this world or the ingredients of reality and existence itself. This world is compressed light. That's how God made this world. And again, again, it, there, there's a way, there's a way of, um, of, of just visualizing this. I've mentioned it before, but I think it's, it's helpful just to keep in mind. If you think in terms of like um, water vapor, right? Like when you boil uh, water on, on the stove, you make tea. And that steam that comes out, that's water vapor, right? Like you can't even see it after it enters into the air. But what's the molecule of water vapor? That's H2O, right? And then if, you, if the molecule slows a little bit, it becomes actual water. So it's physically, it seems completely different. It seems like a totally different substance, but it's, still, but it's, it's the exact same substance. The molecule is still H2O, they're just moving more slowly, right? Then if you slow it down again, it becomes ice. But it's, again, it seems like, well, water and ice are completely different. No, it's the exact same thing. It's just that the molecule, H2O, the identical molecule, is now moving even more slowly. So, so that, you see, from vapor to water to ice, that's, that's basically what God did with his light. He condensed his light from something completely, you can't even see it, it's completely ethereal, to something that's physical. But it's all God. It's all God. In fact, our understanding is that God is as present in this realm as he is in Etzilus, in the highest realm. In other words, what we have in terms of nature and everything around us, these are just garments on reality. These are garments. But God is no less present here than he is in the highest heavens. It's one of the most important teachings that, that you can understand. You must, you must absorb that. Because the illusion is, is that I'm on my own or that I'm all alone. Or that God doesn't care. Or that God isn't here. Or that there is no God. These are all the challenges that this dimension that we dwell in present themselves. To us, But they're all illusions, because God is equally present here as he is in the highest heavens. Okay, so now, all of that is just to explain and introduce what, what we mean when we talk about the four worlds. We're not talking about, all we're talking about is, is like water vapor, water, and, and ice. It's all of the same substance, right? These are just different stratas within the light of God, if you will, when we talk about these four worlds, okay? Now, these four worlds, Kabbalistically speaking, mirror and address the four aspects of each Hebrew letter. And remember, we're compared, each one of us is a letter in the Torah, okay? Actually, quite literally, in a way, all right? We're all kind of letters, you know? And it always, like... It always amazes me when I think about this, that if we're all letters, like all of us here right now and everyone who's listening, what are we spelling right now? <laughs> you know, we're spelling something right now. What are we spelling? And then if you think about it even more deeply, let's say when we walked in, we spelled one thing. But now we're learning Torah and our minds are expanding and our souls are like blossoming because we're all learning together. 
Now the letters will be arranged in a different way and we'll spell something else. Right? So now, now what are we spelling? And by the end of this talk, what are we going to spell? Yeah, it's just going up and up and up. Right? So it's very, very amazing. Or maybe each one of us are the first letter of a word in a Pasuk. Or the last letter of the word of a Pasuk. You know what I mean? Because there's, there's all sorts of things that we're tapping into right now that we have no idea about. You know? But it's, it's no less there. It's not, it doesn't mean it's not happening just because we're not aware of it. So, so now let's look at the anatomy of a letter keeping in mind that there are four parts to a letter, and that these four parts correlate with the four worlds that the world is made out of. Okay, the four stratas, if you will, if that's easier to, to um, absorb. So what are the four parts of each, of each letter? And keeping in mind, again, that each one of us is a letter. So above the letter, the highest aspect, and you'll see it in the Chumash itself, is the musical note. That's very interesting. Because remember, we said that God sang the world into creation. He sang us into creation. So the highest part is the musical note, the trump, the cantillation on top of the letter. And what's striking to me about that as well is, so that would correlate with Atsilus. Atsilus is like the highest dimension of reality. And this is beyond, beyond, beyond. There's no physicality to it. So it makes sense that it correlates with a musical note because music doesn't have any physicality to it. Once it's played, it's just, you know, there's nothing really tangible. You can't really hold on to it. Okay. The next stage of a letter, underneath the musical note, is what we call the, the, the tag or the tagim, which are the crowns of the letters. Okay. And there's a, a far out... Uh, piece of Agadita in the Talmud, and I won't go into it, but just to kind of open your eyes to it, if you don't know it already, is that it says that when, um, that there, one of the encounters between Hashem and Moshe Rabbeinu, and this is, um, I think it's in Gomorrah Shabbos, when they're talking about Hashem giving us the Torah. So around page uh, 88, it says, it says that Moshe encountered Hashem, and what was Hashem doing at that time? He was putting the crowns on top of the letters. Okay, so anyway, that's, that goes into a whole teaching. But you should just know that the idea of these, these crowns on the letters are like very, very exalted, and it's a whole field of study in itself. Not only that, but it says that part of the greatness of Rabbi Akiva See, there's a, there's a teaching that says that Moshe said to God, why did you give the Torah to me? Why didn't you give it to Rabbi Akiva? So you can imagine, right? Like, and what was the greatness? What was one aspect of the greatness of Rabbi Akiva? Was that he was learning out tons of halachas. Tons of just the way existence works based on just the crowns of each of the letters. Just on the crowns. So, so from this you have to see that the, the crowns are a very... Uh, integral and important part of the letters. Okay? Now, in a normal uh, printed uh, chumash, just a, a normal edition of the printed Torah, they don't include the crowns. You have to go to a special book or to look in a Torah scroll to see the crowns. So, just, um, just in case you're wondering. Okay. But if you look in a tikkun, that's um, you know, a special book that teaches you how to read the Torah, you, you'll see the crowns there. Okay. So, so, so again, you've got the top aspect is the, is the cantillation, the musical note. Then you've got the crown of the letter. Then you have the body of the letter itself. And then underneath you have the vowelization of the letter. Now, the vowelization of the letter is very, very, very important. It's very important. And then let me just go into that for a moment. You see, one of the proofs um, of the of the oral law, that's the the Torah Shabal Peh, the the Talmud, right? Um, the divine authenticity of it. See, you see what what a lot of people don't know is a very essential piece of Jewish history, and that's the following: when Moshe got the Torah at Mount Sinai, 
I'm telling you what our tradition is. This is our tradition. Hashem gave Moshe the Torah letter by letter. Letter by letter, he dictated the Torah to Moshe. Not only that, but as he was, as God was dictating the Torah to Moshe, God would then say, don't write this down, but I'm going to explain to you what this means. And so that was the oral law. Meaning to say that, that Moshe at Mount Sinai simultaneously got the written law and the oral law. It's very, very, very important to know. Because some people think that the oral law was just something that the rabbis just started kind of like doing some freestyling. You know what I mean? They just started doing some brainstorming. And, hey, you know what would be great? A lot more halachas. That would be the greatest idea. Let's forbid lots and lots of things, you know? And so there are people who, when they begin learning, really bump their head up against the oral law because they don't understand that it was given to Moshe at the exact same time as the written law. They don't know what the source of it is. So this is a very important teaching, okay? So, so, so to give you um, now an illustration of it, there, there are many illustrations of, of how you can prove that the oral law is, is divine and is from Mount Sinai. But, but nonetheless, let me just zero in on one of them. Because right now, remember, we're talking about vowels. Okay, that the vowels are the fourth part of a letter. And vowels are really, really important. Because as the fourth part, they correlate with Olamasiya. Remember, we talked about the four worlds. Olamasiya is the bottom of the four worlds, also known as here. <laughs> like, right, like planet Earth, like here, right? This, this dimension of reality that we exist in is Olamasiya. Translated as the world of action. Okay, so vowels, remember we're all letters and we all have a letter in the Torah. Vowels correlate with the world of action, which is this dimension that we're in right now. So vowels then are the defining, or nekudot in Hebrew. These are the dots underneath the letter. This is the defining aspect of what like, makes you, you. Now, let me give you an example and show you how this ties in with the oral law, okay? There's certain words that are spelled exactly the same way. And the classic example is chalav and chalev. One means milk and one means fat, like the fat from an animal. And that word is used quite a bit in terms of when we get to the korbonos, when we get to the sacrifices, and we're talking about how we basically offer up an animal. So the word fat is referred to like very, very crucially and, and very frequently. But it's spelled the exact same way as milk. Chalav and chalav are the same word. But the only way you can distinguish those two words is through the vowels. And the only way we know which time it's talking about milk and which time it's talking about fat is because we have a Masora, a tradition from Mount Sinai, the oral law saying, no, 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 this time it means milk. This time it means fat. This is just one example. This is just one of many, many examples. But it's where we are right now, so I'm just going to leave it at that. So in other words, what makes, what is, what defines you in this world of action is what you do with yourself, how you finish yourself, how you finish defining yourself. That's the nekudos. You know, interestingly, they're called points. Nekudos are points. So in English we say, that's the point. <laughs> like, 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 what are you going to do with yourself? You see, what's so awesome about Torah and Judaism in general is that it's not about platitudes and it's not about ideas Ultimately, it all boils down into action, because this is the realm of action and the finishing part of your existence. If you think of yourself as a letter, is those nekudos, is that thing that defines you. And that's an action. It's an action term. That's the point. What you do with your life, what choices we make. Um, but now let me double back. Because. We're still talking about 
what it means that God sang the world into existence, right? Remember, breishis is the word shiras olive bays, the song of the olive bays, right? And remember, we're the olive bays, we're the letters. So God is the singer and we're the song, okay? So now, I want to go deeper into this idea of looking at our anatomy and how it mirrors the structures of a letter. Because what did we say the highest aspect of our existence is? By the way, before I get to this, I just want to tell you one more thing, just so you see it in in maybe even a stronger way, in terms of the correlation between a human being and a letter, okay? And what I'm going to discuss in a moment is this idea of the musical note, which is the highest aspect, okay? But before we get there, according to Hasidus, there are three main garments to a human being, okay? This is very deep, because you're going to hear, like, a giant thought summed up in just a few words. There are three garments to a human being. Thought, speech, and action. And if you think about it, it's like, well, you know, that's a pretty good boiling down of what a human being is, you know? Thought, speech, and action. These are, and the fact that they're referred to as garments is so deep, you know? So, thought, speech, and action. Now, these correlate with the, with the, forget about the musical note, that's the top one. But then, thought, speech, and action kicks in. Now, let's see how that parallels the structure of a letter. What would thought correlate with? The crown of the letter, right? It makes sense, because that's sort of the top of the body of the letter, That's where you think. That's where your thought is, at the top. Then, speech, well, that's the body of the letter itself. How do you speak? By pronouncing letters. And then what's action? Thought, speech, and action. Action are the nakudos, the vowelization. Those are your actions in this world. You see? So, it, it, it mirrors exactly. All right, so now what are we going to do with this final cantillation, this musical note that exists on top of a person. What are we going to do with this teaching? So I'd like to offer the following, and this is, for better or for worse, in my name. <laughs> so, so far we've been on pretty solid ground, so, but now, now I just will tell you how I understand this. So if we want to say that these, that these, uh, These four aspects correlate with the four worlds, which is established. Um, So this musical note sort of is this aspect which transcends us. Because it's above us. It's above us. And in order to fully understand what that means, and I'm going to tell you an amazing Gomorrah. And this is in Gomorrah uh, Sanhedrin. It's on page 94 if you want to look it up. And it talks about a chapter in Jewish history, which unfortunately is not very well known. It's one of the greatest miracles that was ever performed for the Jewish people. And this is like a historical thing. It's like a historical thing. And, and anyway, it's basic Jewish history. Everyone should know it, even though it's not very well known. Okay. But it's in the Gomorrah, Sanhedrin, page 94. So, I think everyone is familiar with the, with the notion of the ten lost tribes, right? It's, it's sort of part of uh, Jewish lore, the ten lost tribes. So, when, when did that happen exactly? When did the ten tribes get lost? Do, do you know the answer to this question? So, it was a historical event. Basically, what happened was... There was a war against the Jewish people, and it was done by one of history's great generals named Sancherib. Okay? That's how you say it in Hebrew, anyway. So, Sancherib, at this point in Jewish history, unfortunately, the Jewish people were divided. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And the ten tribes lived in the northern kingdom, and then there were two tribes that lived... In the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom, by the way, was Jerusalem. And um, 
Yehuda and Benjamin, that was their place, and also the Kahanim were there also, you know, um, and that's where the Holy Temple was. But everything else was in the northern kingdom. The other ten tribes were in the northern kingdom. So Sinherov comes in and vanquishes the ten tribes, the northern kingdom, sends them all into exile. And that's, when we talk about the ten lost tribes, that's when the ten tribes got lost. They were defeated by Sinherov. Okay? Yeah. Yes. Yes, it happens after King David because the temple existed already. But it's, a, it's good that you mention King David because that's going to come up in a moment. So, so again, just why am I bringing you this teaching? I'm, I'm, I'm telling you about the importance of song. That's, it's, this is not just a history lesson uh, out of the blue. This is about the importance of song. So, so Sennacherib amassed his forces around Jerusalem and he was about to come in and finish off the Jewish people. This is maybe as close as we've ever come to being wiped out as a people, by the way. I mean, the Purim story was pretty close, and the Holocaust was pretty close, but at this point, you know, you got 10 out of 12 were already gone at this point. So this is really, really close. So what happened was, Hashem, there was a very righteous king at this point. His name was Chizkiah. Okay, one of the all-time great righteous people ever. Okay, and he was the king, and he was in Jerusalem. And now you have, like, the forces are amassed, they're around Jerusalem, and they're about to finish us off. Pesach night, God makes a miracle and wipes them, wipes them all out. Actually, I don't know if it was on Pesach night. We talk about this miracle on Pesach night in one of the songs that we sing after the Seder, but it happened at midnight, okay? I, I don't think it was Pesach, but anyway, it happened at midnight. That's, a, that's the point. And um, God wipes out, he sends a plague, basically, and kills them all in their sleep. A massive miracle. Massive. Okay? Now, the Gomorrah says something heartbreaking. And I wonder if this is why this isn't a better-known chapter in Jewish history. Because there's sort of like this bittersweet aspect to this, to this, to this account. So, so it says, the rabbis tell us something, that basically that was going to be Mashiach, and that was going to be the end of days. And that was going to be counted as the war of Golgu Magog, and that was going to be it. That was the apocalyptic battle that was won by God on behalf of the Jewish people, and that was going to be the end of days. And Chizkiah was going to be Mashiach. Okay? So what happened? Chizkiah didn't sing a song of thanks to God. And so for that reason, he wasn't named Mashiach by God. Because he didn't sing a song of praise to God after that incredible miracle. And it says the attribute of justice went up to God and said, David Melech, King David, saying all of these praises to you, and now you do an even bigger miracle for Hezekiah, and Hezekiah doesn't sing for you? And you want to make him Mashiach, and you didn't make David Mashiach? How can it be? It's not right. And God said, okay. Okay. Then, you want to hear something far out? The Gomorrah then goes on to say that the earth, the ground itself, responds to God. And the earth says back to God, I'll sing. I'll do the singing. But it wasn't enough. So, what's, what's going on? Well, maybe I'll just give you a, a quick explanation of what that, what that piece of Agatha is talking about, and then we'll get back to this idea of us being musical, uh, us being letters, and the musical note being the highest. Okay? So, so I saw Rabbi Fran explained in the name of Rav Moshe Feinstein that, see, because all of us are asking the same question, well, why didn't Chizkiah sing? You know, why didn't he sing? So, so, because, you see, there's a very, very high level of connection to God. Super high level, okay? 
And this super high level is that you treat miracles as normal occurrences because you're so aware of the fact that God can do absolutely anything at any time. So since God can do anything at any time, what's a miracle? Isn't everything a miracle? Isn't the fact that we have any aspect of consciousness, that there's a world itself, that anything is taking place, isn't absolutely everything a miracle? In fact, the Ramban says that anyone who doesn't treat every aspect of reality as a miracle has no share in the Torah of Moses. So, I mean, so, so it's absolutely Jewish thought to treat every aspect, every occurrence as a miracle. Okay, but then we have different categories of miracles. We have hidden miracles and revealed miracles. All of nature is an ongoing miracle, but it's on the, on the level of a hidden miracle. The splitting of the Red Sea, or the wiping out of an army in their sleep in the middle of the night, that's an open miracle. But can you imagine the greatness of Chizkiah, that he's treating everything the same, because God can do anything at any moment. You get an aspect to his tremendous spiritual greatness, right? But nonetheless, so, so that's why it says, the ground said, I'll sing. Because the ground represents nature. Nature says, okay, you know, he's holy. He's holy. He's treating everything as a miracle. But I, nature, recognize the fact that what you did, God, was awesome. I'm going to sing. But it wasn't enough. I guess it has to come from us. Okay. Now, I want to add my own, my own interpretation of this, okay? Which is the following. And I just ask you, I hope that you'll be able to identify with what I'm talking about right now. And if you can't, then I wish it on you that, that soon you'll, you'll be able to understand what I mean. When you sing, you reach a whole other level. And I know we pray in a place called the Happy Minion of Los Angeles, and the whole nusach, the whole ordering of prayers that, that Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach sort of introduced, this nusach is all about song. And when everyone is together and everyone is singing, you reach another level. You, you just, it's, it's just very basic. You just transcend yourself. Something happens when you start singing, and especially when a group of people start singing, you reach another level. And so... So, what I'd like to suggest is that when Chizkiah didn't sing, or when we didn't sing, whatever it is, but I think it's more focused on Chizkiah, the king at the time, that basically there was all this unbelievable potential energy that was existing in the realm after the salvation took place, and that by singing he would have lifted up all of creation to another level. Like, like that was just basically, it just needed the trigger. It just needed that one little on switch. You know, you know when you think of like an electrical factory, some of these, these, these power plants go on for city blocks. They're massive. But there's one on switch which accesses all of this, the entire plant. Right? So the on switch can be song. You sing and then boom! Like it all goes up. You uplift everything. So that's kind of like looking at it almost from an, uh, an aspect of the mechanics of it, the physics of it, if you will. But, but all of this is to say that it makes sense that it makes sense that, that when you look at the structure of a letter and how closely it mirrors an individual and how closely it mirrors the spiritual worlds, that the top aspect of the letter is the musical note. Because this musical note can allow us to lift ourselves to this highest place, to this place that's like beyond us, right? And of course that correlates with the highest of the worlds, right? So it's just bringing all of creation up. And again, let's just kind of wrap it up right now. This whole idea that when God created the world, he sang the world into existence. But we also said that the word in the beginning was hinting at the fact that this is just the beginning of a process that's unfolding into the ultimate blossoming of the perfection of the world. 
So the fact that Breshis also is Shiras Olive Bays, the song of the Olive Bays, and each one of us is a letter in the Olive Bays, and that God sang the world in creation, He implanted the world with song, and that we're partners in creation, and what God wants us to do is to fulfill our potential, to get to that next level, which is that level of that awesome joy, that awesome song, that awesome power and uplifting that happens when we access, you know, all of our facilities in terms of connecting with God. And we all just jump up to that level. It says that there are ten songs that will be sung. And we're awaiting, it's in Tanakh, in the Torah, nine have been recorded. So we're waiting for that tenth song. We're waiting for that tenth song to be sung. And that's going to be the completion of everything. So, so you know something? When you look at your life, when you look at your life, it's not just what you have right now. It's all the things that aren't happening right now also. <laughs> you know? Because if you're just zeroing in on what you have right now, then you're just going to zero in on all the things that you think are missing. But you know something that's a very skewed view of your, of your life? Because you have to see all the things, not just that you have, but all the things that aren't happening. All of us right now are not in solitary confinement in Iran. Let's just take a moment to appreciate that. You know, I know someone who was. I think I've told you that story before. I got a letter from him. He was a friend of my parents. It was written in pencil on a small line piece of paper. And he said, you ready for this? He said, I never had any concept of what loneliness was. This is a man who was writing from solitary confinement. Until my watch stopped ticking. Right? I mean, you want to talk about awesome loneliness? That his friend was the sound of a ticking watch? Right? So... It's not just what we have and what we don't have. It's what we have and all of the things that aren't going on right now. Right? So, so we really have to appreciate. We really have to appreciate. And when we appreciate, we transcend. We get to like the outer limits of everything, you know? And uh, just the idea to become a song. And I just want to tell you one more teaching and then we'll wrap it up from... Uh, from Rabbi Wolfson, he says something very beautiful. You know, if you, and it's, it's in the prayer books also. If you look at the song that we sang um, after the Red Sea split, you'll see something very uh, interesting. The way it's written in the Torah is not like the, not like the normal way of writing. There's, um, it's like bricks on top of empty spaces, on top of bricks. That's the way the sages describe it. And uh, it's very striking. You just look it up in a chumash, or you can look it up in most prayer books are arranged this way. So there are lines, and then white spaces, and then lines, and then white spaces. And uh, what's so great about a song? So Reb Shlomo Karlbach says that you have two contrasting notes. Right? Now, like, think about it in the in, in the here and now with personalities. You're, you disagree. You're, you're on the right side of the political spectrum. I'm on the left side of the political spectrum. So we'll argue with each other. But in the world of music, two notes that aren't the same actually combine and create a harmony. So there's something beautiful about our differences. All of our differences come together and actually combine to, to make something beautiful. Now what Rabbi Wolfson says is that, look at the white spaces in the Torah. He says, those are the down times in our life. Like, 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 like sometimes, you know, it's not all, like, we're, we're, we're the, the, the new generation is increasingly afraid of boredom. Because there's so much stimulation on an ongoing level that anything that smacks of boredom I think strikes them as um, existential, you know, death. You know, that I'm, something isn't happening at this moment. I'm going to disappear entirely. Right? I think, that's, I think people really actually experience it in a very almost panic-stricken way. 
boredom. But you know something? These white spaces, when the, when the Torah is recording the song of thanks, there's lots of white, white spaces. Because, you see, increasingly, we're getting out of the rhythm of what actual life is. There's a tremendous amount of normalcy and downtime in real life. You know what I mean? And, and we have to understand that in terms of relationships also. You know, all of a sudden, kind of like real life kicks in at a certain point and a certain rhythm kicks in at a certain point. And that's actually normal. That's normal. And it's not to be feared or like, what's going wrong? You know, like, what is this thing called normal? You know, well, normal is the thing called normal. You know, that's actually how things are. And so so we shouldn't panic. We shouldn't panic. And what's so great about a song is that all of the notes in the song are coming together to form a whole. And, and, and the notes, like, who are about to encounter a white space, they don't, like, sprout legs and go, I'm getting out of here. You know, they're, they're, they're part of, of that. And there's a recognition of that. And that's where Amuna kicks in. That's where faith kicks in. Because you go, okay, well, now I'm heading into this period. But that's okay. That's okay. This, this is just part of the normal rhythm of things. And now I want to share one last thing with you, which, which is very, very deep. This is very deep. And, uh, and uh, just uh, try, to, try to grasp what I'm, what I'm trying to communicate here, because it's a, it's a big thought, okay? I was listening to um, an episode of Radio Lab. I'm into this show, Radio Lab. I really recommend it. And there's this episode is called Escape. Very cool episode. Some very sad parts on it, unfortunately. But that's what it is. But I, I learned this from there. So, so there's a, a space mission that NASA did um, a, a while back. Um, it was the Voyager. I told this to someone the other day. He said, no, it was the Mariner. So I think it was the Voyager. But maybe it was the Mariner. <laughs> it was the Voyager. Though. Anyway, so the Voyager was, was, was taking pictures of the planets. And, and if you remember, like 10, 15 years ago, whatever it is, like every few months we'd get brand new pictures of like the planets that had never come out before. And they were like these amazing color photos, like close-ups of like the moons of Jupiter and just outrageous things. So these were all coming from this mission. And the idea was that we're just sending this thing out. Can you closer? We're, 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 we're sending this thing out to like the, the deepest levels of outer space. And one of the intentions, in addition to photographing um, the, the planets in the solar system, was to, was to see if there was extraterrestrial life out there that maybe we could make contact with them. And so they interviewed the woman who is in charge of putting, they put it on a golden record, right? I'm not sure why they chose gold, but maybe because, I don't know. They, on a golden record, like they made like an LP, like an album, and they put sounds of humanity on it. Just so if, if extraterrestrials would encounter this, they would have some aspect of what it means to be a human being on Earth. And they played one clip of, of what this record was, what was on this record. And it was wild. It was a mother's first words to her baby. And I have the chills just thinking about it. And it just sounds so normal. But she's trying to get the baby to suckle. Right? And she's just, you know, you can picture it. She's probably on a bed in, I don't know, I'm guessing a hospital somewhere. And the, the baby's there and she's just talking very soothingly to the baby, trying to to get it to suckle. It's just amazing. That's just one tiny little clip on this thing that's in the outer reaches of outer space right now. Right? So I don't know what else is on the album. You can research it. I mean, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if the entire album isn't available online, you know? But anyway, so, so this thing keeps on going and it keeps on going and it keeps on going. And in NASA, they're, they're listening to it. And by the way, just so you know where I'm going with this thought, I'm talking about the white spaces, like in the Torah. 
Okay? Remember, the, the black letters, the, the Torah is black fire and white fire. Black fire represents that which is revealed. The white fire is that aspect which is not revealed. Okay? But it's there. Okay? So, in NASA, there, there, there's an antenna on this spacecraft. And they're listening. And there's all sorts of noise out there in outer space, believe it or not. Now, this week, I saw a headline on the Google News page. Ready for this? They were able to measure how fast the winds are going because there are winds in outer space. Okay? How fast the winds are going into a black hole. All right? And this just came out this week. So their measurement was 22 million miles per hour. That's the speed that the winds are going into black holes. 22 million miles an hour. And of course, all these things are making noise out in, out in the world, okay? out in the, the deepest reaches of space. So the antenna is picking these things up and they're listening to it in, uh, in NASA. And, but it's making the same noise. And for 14 years, bless you, 14 years, it's making the same noise. And, you know, I guess it's this bandwidth or whatever it is came up. And, you know, there's a limited number of resources and listening stations that they have at NASA. And this other project needed it. And they're like, it's making the exact same noise for 14 years. You want to use our bandwidth? Go ahead, use it. You know, we're... It's 14 years, come on. So they use it. And I don't know what it was. A few weeks later, a few months later, a, a relatively very short period of time, they get their station back and it's changed dramatically. It's changed dramatically. And they had crossed some threshold in terms of the layout of the cosmos. It just crossed a threshold. So, this is... This is reality. This is reality. See, at a certain point, we're going to cross a threshold into another era. And they said it just happened like that. Just happened. So... So, so the Torah and the prophets lay out what's going to happen. You see, you see, we do something that, you see, Hashem has a bit of an unfair advantage over our minds, to put it mildly. Which is, is that in order for us to try to grasp what's going on, all we can do is extrapolate based on the present and on the past. But what if it changes? All we can do is basically take the present model and project it into the future. But God has told us himself that it's going to change. And we actually, this is to me a very stunning, compelling example of how it changes in terms of, in terms of what the plan is. God has told us the plan. We're in, so to speak, the 14-year period right now where it just seems like it's the same, it's the same, it's the same. How could it ever change? So much so that we even leave the listening station. We even go, you know what, it's like, eh. So, this is what it is. And then this is not what it is. And we've been told this is not what it is. And it is going to change. It is going to change. And I'll repeat for you one of the greatest teachings I ever heard in the name of Rebbe Labela Eger, the definition of exile. Exile is, you think that because today was like today, and because today was like yesterday, tomorrow is going to be like today, and tomorrow is going to be like yesterday. It's not true. It's not true. Tomorrow, there's going to be a tomorrow that's not going to be like today. And there's going to be a tomorrow that's not going to be like yesterday. And anyone who has met their soulmate knows that what I'm talking about is true. 
you have your today, and then you have your today, and then you have your today, and then all of a sudden you walk into the pharmacy, and it's like, hey, oh, I, oh, hey, I, oh, yeah. And the next thing you know, you've just crossed a threshold, and you're into the next stage of your life. And how did that happen? Right? And you had no idea when you were getting into your car to go into the pharmacy that you were right on the edge of the edge of the edge about to cross into the next threshold of your life. You had no idea. Right? So, it's coming. The, you know, in the words of the prophets, days are coming. Days are really coming. It's not a joke. It's not a joke, and it's not made up, and it's not a fantasy, and it's not wishful thinking, and it's not the opiate of the masses. It's none of those things. It's true. It's true. Change is coming. It's real. It's real. And we are all, it's all up to us, right? God made us partners. He's looking to us. And so we've got to basically harness, harness the extremes, Let's just review the point. Let's harness the extremes. We're letters, and we're also musical notes. God sang the world into existence. This is the world of action. We can learn a lot of stuff, but the transformative thing is action. Right? Those are the notes. That's what transforms chalav into chalav, or chalav into chalav. That's what makes us distinct, is our actions. Okay? That's the bottom line. And what's the top line? The top line is transcendence. This musical note which exists above the letter, right? Which allows us to take all of this energy and lift it up into perfection and harmony. Okay.